Hello and welcome back to The Will and Rob Show. Today is our third episode during the coronavirus shutdown. It certainly feels like a unique time, but as many have pointed out, it's not the first time the church has endured a pandemic. Many are putting on their historian hats to examine how the church carried on then and perhaps even draw lessons for the church today. And since neither of us are qualified for such a conversation, we decided to bring on someone who is uh, a church historian and expert. So today we're very excited to have with us Dr. Peter Yoder. Dr. Peter Yoder is a lecturer of church history at RTS Dallas. And before arriving in Dallas, Dr. Yoder was a visiting professor of Christian studies at Berry College. He has had the privilege of holding research fellowships at the Leibniz Institute of European History, the Gotha Research Center, of the University of Erfurt and the Frank Foundations. He received his Master of Arts from Theological Studies from RTS Charlotte and his PhD from the University of Iowa. And exciting news, in December, his book Pietism and the Sacraments is going to be released by Penn State. So uh, Dr. Yoder, thank you so much for joining us and being our very first guest on The Will and Rob Show. Gentlemen, thanks for having me. It is an honor to be a part of this adventure. Well, yes, that is the way to describe this uh, season. So what we're going to do is we're going to just dive in to our first question here for you. A lot of people have waded into the conversation and offered their thoughts. Our own executive director of ministry to state, Chuck Garriott, who wrote a piece and drew a lot from uh, Rodney Stark talking about um, the church and plagues. And one quote that Rodney Stark offers, he says this, he says, and he's quoting Bishop Dionysius of Alexandria, and he says, most of our brothers showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. So Stark is just talking about the way the church responded during a pandemic and plague in order to serve and love their neighbors. And in your own words, you just love to know how has the church gone about interacting with plagues and outbreaks throughout church history? Uh, that's a good, good question. I think as we look over kind of the, the vast kind of spectrum of, of the life of the church, we find that as our knowledge of, of science has grown, so too the church has changed its reaction, so to speak, the way it's administered at moments. Uh, obviously, uh, there wasn't anyone during the plague with Justinian that was uh, jumping online to watching their pastor sermons. And so too, uh, there, uh, there's been different, different reactions at different times. Uh, you can see even uh, through some of the, the classic ways that we create periods for the church for church history i think the one underlying thing that that uh, we can notice is uh, and i think it's also really an important statement for us to be reminded of during this time is that there is always ethics involved in ecclesiastical history that is the church can never be understood apart from ethics at some at some level Um, and in fact a lot of times church has gone uh, astray because it has left ethics behind and so you see, uh, you know, with a lot of the responses that we've been reading, that the church has continued to call itself towards, uh, an, you know, the ethic of uh, loving God and loving neighbor and, uh, and the results of that. And, and at moments, you see that disappear. You see the church functioning with no concern of ethic 
uh, or the, the well-being of others. And, and at those times, you see also dysfunctional church uh, doing its thing. And your research has focused on German pietism. And in your research, have you come across any particular pandemic or um, outbreak in Germany that the church responded to in a unique way? Yeah, it's uh, it's actually very interesting. The uh, uh, as we look at the broad life of plagues that have hit Europe, the the Great Plague in the 14th century is uh, a lot of people are talking about that during this time. Obviously, we have to be careful because uh, the bubonic plague uh, and the plague that kind of uh, destroyed lives in Europe is is a different beast of sorts than what we're facing at this time. Uh, not casting any light mood on what's going on with the COVID-19, the coronavirus. But, you know, uh, historians have, have looked at even the 14th century and said uh, the plague killed up to uh, one third, 30% or so of the population during that time. Um, and so we, we, we don't really know, we can't really fathom that type of loss of life. I think we can think about lives lost during massive wars, um, but it's really hard for us to grasp the, 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 the massive loss of life that occurred. That happened actually in the town that I studied in or study uh, the, the growth of pietism in, and that's uh, the town called Halle, uh, where the Frankische Stiftungen is. I specifically study uh, German pietism, and my research has worked with the Lutheran pietists, especially with this gentleman named August Hermann Franke. And he came into a town that had just been ravaged by the plague. The stats that I have with regards to the, the town was that it was about, I believe, two-thirds of the population of that town died from the plague at that time. So I've heard something about 4,000. This is a city, only 4,000 people remained living. Now, what's really interesting about it is this town has, has dealt with the plague uh, or had dealt with the plague uh, in different waves from all the way back into the 14th century. In fact, in the 14th century, it got hit by the plague, and the town has this one section that's called, the, uh, sort of the best way to translate it into English is kind of the sort of the, the way of the, the, the grassy way. Uh, and there's this little section of the town where the plague hit and actually um, they, had to, they decided to board up the houses in the area that the people were living in and let them starve to death. And they let them starve to death and kept it closed up for uh, uh, almost a year, took down uh, the, the walls and the boarding only to find grass had grown through the streets and grown up into the buildings uh, and, and the skeletal remains of the people they had boarded up. So it's, it's, it's wild to think how uh, a town living within, within the Holy Roman Empire uh, with the, the knowledge of, of the gospel around them brought such a great amount of fear. So uh, jumping forward several hundred years in the 1680s, uh, it struck again. And we, uh, we have information that it was probably this young lady, about 34 years old, named Margareta Fleming, who was the first one to have the plague. Um, but again, it devastated the town. Um, and so uh, one of those things that, that we maybe, we're not really, maybe not talking a lot about is what the church does after the pandemic. A lot of us are talking about what the church is doing in the pandemic. And not many of us are, well, there is conversations going on, what, what's going to happen after the pandemic? And I think as we look at the gospel and the hope of Christ, there, there are, I think, going to be some very beautiful open doors to what is about to happen and what we hopefully will see the church flourishing in. And so I think the, the panic and the adjustments and the fear that is associated with our situation now and the associations before 
can oftentimes give give rise to flourishing moments, moments where we see uh, the gospel kind of explode. Uh, and, and that's my hope. I'm hoping that, that we see that even now in our midst. That story about the boarding up of the homes and your comments earlier about Christian ethics and then your the final words that very um, we're thinking about with how did the church respond when everything finally broke. Were there various Christian responses to that action of, of just locking people away? And if so, the area where you were studying, what were some differences that and the, the church's response once the plague and the at that time finally broke and went away? Yeah, the one of the consistent responses I think we see with the church, uh, we see it even today is such actions or such activities are associated with the judgment of God. So even early on in the 14th century, we have the, the church recognizing or compelling its parishioners to, say, to go to confession even more often than usual um, because they believe that sin was the cause of the plague. It was a judgment of God. And obviously that created complications. And we, we see the numbers from that 14th century plague, and it's actually the, the clergy had a higher death rate than, than actual parishioners did uh, because they were both caring for the dying and sick, and at the same time they were putting themselves in harm's way, so to speak, for that sake. And there's this, this tragic and beautiful kind of story there, right? So you have the clergy going out and caring for those who are dying, expressing the love of Christ. And in this moment, obviously, the sacraments play such a ma- massive role for the church, right? So this last rite and receiving the anointing of last rite uh, was so important to those who were dying. Um, and the clergy seeing them respons- seeing their, the responsibility of caring for the souls of their parishioners. And, and so you have stories of clergy fleeing those responsibilities. Uh, you have, uh, and that may also be echoed in Luther's letter that we, we've been passing around and reading among ourselves with regards to the plague that, uh, that was hitting Silesia at that time during Luther's life. Um, but there are some that were fleeing, but you know, most of the pastors were staying and doing their duties. And uh, uh, I believe it was Clement VI who, at that time in the 14th century, during essentially the Avignon reign of the papacy, who opened up that even lay people could offer a, a, some level of absolution, last rites as they were dying. In fact, there's one bishop uh, that I've, I've been reading who was, who was open to allowing women to offer absolution or offer the last rites as they're dying. So not to take it lightly, but desperate times calls for desperate measures. There's I have one, two passages for me that I kind of have run to uh, one uh, and, and others are confused as to whether this man's his blindness was uh, the cause of, was a result of his sin. Right. And, and Jesus's response is, is massive for us, right? It's, it's not that rather, and, and I'm looking at here, John three, he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might dis- be displayed in his life. And I can't, I can't help but think that is how we kind of have to position ourselves looking forward, right? That's what we want to be doing looking forward is saying this, this is the history that we're a part of. We're a part of God's history. So um, the church has reacted in a lot of different ways to, to, to draw it all back. One, a lot of times it's wrapped around how we understand the sacraments. That, that's a really big point to be made as we talk about how we sing and, and pandemic is uh, how do we understand our relationship to the church? This kind of leads me to that second, another biblical passage that I mentioned. 
here we are in Matthew 12, and, and Jesus is going through the grain fields with his disciples. They're hungry. They're eating heads of grain, and the Pharisees see it, and they get, they get mad because they think it's unlawful during the Sabbath. And so we have this moment where Jesus refers to David's, uh, David and his companions and how they ate the consecrated uh, bread that was offered them. Uh, and he call, it culminates with, and I, I want to read Matthew because he speaks much more to what Jesus says. And he says, he said to them, uh, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? And how much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then towards the end of the story about the grain field, he says, uh, I tell you, one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Um, and that points to that. Uh, one of those conundrums we're in is that oftentimes we leave out uh, what the responsibility of the church is and how that is part and parcel of doing church. And what I mean by that is, is we've often seen a dysfunctional church leave out its role of being merciful. In fact, we, we, we speak of the necessity of doing mercy even on the Sabbath. That's an important feature of what it means for us to, to live out the church. And so, as, we mentioned, as I mentioned earlier, there's the ethic of the church gets dismissed when we speak about the functioning of the church. And oftentimes our reaction as a church can't leave that out. We have to be a church of love, and we have to be a church that loves not only God, uh, but also loves our neighbor. And that means that we respond and we act and we live with regards to, to those around us in, a, in a, a way that is mindful of both their body and their souls. Earlier, you, you mentioned it's important to look at what the church is doing during pandemics, but um, it's also equally important or maybe more of an important question to ask, what, what does the church do after pandemics and how it um, responds? What are some of the lessons that the church learned after pandemics that we could draw from today in our, in, in our context? Uh, yeah, good, that's a really good question. I think one of them that we, ha- we can take away is our immediate reaction uh, when, when we see something like this is pointing the finger as to whose fault it is. And I, I believe one of the first reactions we need to have is, uh, is a return to the doctrine of God. Uh, and that is, who is God in the midst of all of this? And uh, that, to me, is extremely important. Uh, a lot of the issues we run into uh, in, the, in our understanding of the things around us are, are a result of us not taking time to get to know who God is. So one of the initial responses, and I would say this uh, in, in, my, in my field of pietism, a lot of times the pietistic or the pietist reaction to things goes straight to the action even though they speak to the heart. And so we saw this with the Puritans at moments uh, during plague as it hit London and elsewhere. So with the pietists uh, a little bit later, and that was they kind of went straight to let's shut down anywhere you drink, let's shut down all of the theaters. These are the, this is the judgment of God. Um, one of the things, though, is that to step back and say, who is God? And that being a, a, an important voice of the church, that important prophetic voice of the church, that's, that's one part. I think the other part goes hand in hand is that we, ha- we should be reminded uh, that we are a church of, of action, like we are a church that lives out the hope of Christ before others. And that will look different in various areas. I, I can't speak to different contexts, but I do believe we're going to enter into a time when 
lives, uh, solitary lives, uh, who have become tired with the internet, who become tired with social media, and and who hopefully uh, will be turning to turning to that inward hope and inward longing for true relationship. And my hope that the church responds rightly and, and rightly in that it directs us to uh, the loving relationship that we can have through Christ uh, with our Lord. Well, Dr. Yoder, thank you so much. And thank you for your encouragement on uh, the importance of returning to the doctrine of God and having our starting point in all of this being who he is, who he is in his nature and in his personhood uh, and the Trinity and letting that guide our actions. Um, So just thank you a ton for joining us. Robert, do you have any final questions? No, I, that was great. I got everything I wanted asked. Dr. Yoder, any parting wisdom for us as we go from here? I do want to thank you guys. It was an honor. Thanks, guys, for letting me be a part of this. It's uh, been a pleasure. In the, in the words of a famous holy man, keep on keeping on. And thank you for listening to the latest episode of The Will and Rob Show. Um, as always, you can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Uh, you can also follow Will and I on Twitter. I'm at R.D. Hassler. Will is at Stockdale Will. Yeah, that's at Stockdale Will. I actually had it this time before you asked for it. I see. It's in the top of my head now because I'm following you and you're tweeting. So it's great. Great, great. great. Um, and then check out Ministry of State at www.ministryofstate.org. And we will see you guys next week. <laughs>